fucking war horse podcast I have for you an an action-packed first hour last bow to put on Zania got some Clark Savage Berserker how to do you want to know how to go Berserk I'm gonna tell you Secret, batshit, potentially true theories on the Christian mystery, mystagogia, as an established heretic, I feel like it's perfectly within my wheelhouse to go ahead and share my thoughts on that. And before we do that, we're going to crush the nature of the ego in, uh, and sort of define it in terms of what we've called capital T and capital S, self. And uh, pull apart the interface between the ego and the worship of the symbol of money versus the worship of the symbol of the cross. As always, I am surrounded by my weapons. One of the nicest things that I've done for myself, I always want to listen to Dale Cooper and try and do something nice for myself every day. And one of these nice things I've done for myself was to pick up this very cheap, it's substantial, but the, the price was reasonable if not cheap, this wall hanger for my shorty. So instead of having to, I've got the law folder on there and um, 11.5. So I would fold it up and then stuff it in a cupboard, closet, what have you, and then have to finagle that shit out when I want to put it in the truck or if I want it out while I'm sleeping, which I often do. And instead, I found this wall hanger, mounted it high enough so my oldest son cannot reach it. And we've done the thing where we break it down and familiarize him with it and sort of demystify it. And um, that is all to say that it's now hanging directly in front of me. Accessible when I go out the front door. It's nice. Highly recommend it. I will. Um, I will work to throw up a link or a photo. Or I think there's a few different makers of this thing. 
It's basically one bar bent in a loop at the top to secure like your muzzle device or your barrel basically and then the other piece goes down in an L shape and this tucks right up into your trigger guard the forward side so most of the weight is held right there at the trigger guard and the top piece is more the counterbalance it's nice very nice the website is goldengoatguild.net golden goat guild on instagram as well minor announcement there are plans in the works probably Christmassy time for the next line of of shirts new shirts new designs out with the old and with the new working on that now once again my lovely wife will be handling most of it though there are a couple collaborations sort of out there that um, may come to fruition on the shirt front we talked about winkler knives the operator collaboration a few weeks back you've got a good update on that it's also on patreon and some other collaborations in the gear world um, that we've we've hinted at are still bubbling given supply chain concerns and uh geez everything else massive inflation moves children um i need to revisit these and see how realistic they are one or two of them are definitely realistic You probably can't hear it, but there's a storm blowing in right now. So we might get some, some background noise, but I'm sure that's just due to the, uh, the morphic resonance of, of the earth, the green aether grid responding to the conflict between the return of the warhorse in all of its snorting, kicking, bursting over the landscape power and uh, the counterpart um, which appears to be it was at one time the micro covens though it appears that micro covens have I warned about this don't say I didn't have become the macro covens and um, I'll try and link that little d disturbing piece of news that popped up this week about various strange new age yoga girls now mixing in the presumably bagged um, remains of their their aborted fetuses truly heinous but these are the grounds, uh, this is the field that we play in. I think that's it as far as introductory stuff. So 
So when we talk about the self and we talk about the ego, uh, if you're like me, you know, you, you take note that there's a lot of different, you, you may kind of know what people are talking about when they use these terms through various context clues. Um, and there is some technicality to it. But nobody really adheres to the old Freudian position, you know, id, ego, superego. This was, and it tells you how, tells you a lot if you think about it. But um, it was a very powerful individual, still read today, um, but he's been quietly sort of sidelined in terms of the majority of his like theoretical or quote scientific supposition as would relate to the <laughs> the equally slippery field you know of psychoanalysis and psychology and whatnot but that's where the you know it's not where the ego term this goes back much farther but My sense is that most, even though this guy and his theories have been sidelined, most of us still seem to accept when we hear the word ego that that's sort of in that particular theoretical structure. And then, you know, you hear about the self. And so, what I wanted to try and do was refer us back. I'm sure you guys have all seen Eyes Wide Shut. So I won't do a full like Jay's analysis breakdown, but I'll do some bits and pieces for you. From the top, to me, the main piece that you can, that you can use to start a to begin to pry open what is intentionally built, in my opinion, as a movie that cannot be entirely deciphered. It's not meant, it's not supposed to be. I think his intention, Kubrick's intention, was to leave this, um, this present that you could reopen and reopen again and, and many, many times, which is pretty, pretty genius, I think. So, at the very end of the film, Bill Harford, Tom Cruise, and his real-life wife and film wife, Nicole Kidman, are shopping. It's evidently a few days before Christmas. And this is where Kidman delivers the line where, well, we're awake now. And it's interesting to note that they're waking up at this, at this season of Christ. 
the implication there being that they were asleep in some season of potentially the devil. The Hungarian guy at the beginning of the movie, and if, if in any in any movie or story or film, if you're going to break it apart, if it's a good story, you're going to you're going to have to do this. You go to the end, and the kernel of the ending should be found in the beginning. Or else, what is the point of the quote story? Why did we have to go on this journey? Well, we didn't. But you did, and so it better make sense. And it does in this case. You recall, they are at the first party. This is the one where Alice, um, Nicole Kidman character, is wooed hard by, isn't it, is it Ziegler, is that his name? Or is that the other guy? I don't know. The Hungarian dude who's like this Don Juan character. And he goes to work on Alice and she's all but swept off her feet. That's, you know, just a sort of factual recounting. And Bill Tom Cruise is led away to deal with this overdose situation after having flirted um, and sort of being led away in his own way by by those two models and he's it's not entirely clear that he's going with them uh, it might read is that he's not he's just playing along and having a good time and he's diverted from there to go deal with the OD but the point of this scene is is yeah to set up all these narrative moves but if you study the way it's filmed, the OD moment is like it's a it's a waking up within the dream. You know, the party stops, life and death is on the line, and he, Bill, the doctor, actually pulls her out of her own narco-induced dream, which ends a nightmare for his friend. The wealthy fellow who we later learn, you know, is involved in the cabal and all this stuff. If you study that the downstairs, the party itself, my wife pointed this out, it's it's very dreamlike. Um it's it all of the lights are softened through movie magic techniques. Everything flows, there's not real at all clear sense of the geographical layout of what we presume is a, a massive you know multi-story uh, central park area like apartment there's an entryway um and there's a stairway, and there's some bar area, and there's a dancing area. It's just not clear, and there are tunnels to all these things. But as in any dream, you know, you, you'd, you'd be familiar with this sort of setup. Also, if you've ever just been drunk yourself at a pretty good party, 
that's how it feels. So the ego is 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 an unconscious piece. Apologies, my dog is freaking out from the um from the storm. The ego is an unconscious component. Essentially uh the way I like to think of it is the ego wants to maintain what is. It's not, it's not necessarily like the area of your dreams, right? It's not the dreamer. It's not a particularly transcend, transcendental um, component of ourselves. It's not going to reach out. And you know this in the, in the basic sort of colloquial way we speak of the ego, right? Oh, he's, he's got an ego. He's just a dick. He just thinks he's hot shit. Yeah. Excuse me. What are you doing? Poor guy. So, the ego is unconscious. The ego creates stories. The avid warhorse absorber can now see how this is being threaded forward and back in our little project here. And the stories aren't good stories. They're, there's more like flat statements um, and they're repetitive in nature and if you think of Marvel schlock cape shit sort of stuff, um, you're, that's, that's the area we're talking about. Those films will very cleverly deploy more sophisticated techniques um, in very gauche and sort of gaudy and borderline, I mean, they're insulting if you know what what's happening. But for the most part, the ego is going to tell stories to the rest of the self. And of course, bringing up the rest of the self, this component, you of course are putting aside somewhere in your mind like, well, where does that resolve? Like where, where does that wind me out at some point when say I die? Is there a me that continues? Is that the ego? If we use our own techniques on ourself, if, and if I pull the curtain back for you and jump to the end, we will make some, some progress, I think. The story of Christ is a story of sacrifice, right? We are told to observe 
this phenomena of the cosmos and we are given an opportunity to deduce from that using our our higher faculties our awake selves how to live our lives if the ego is enmeshed enamored with other symbols the order that is inherent to us and inherent to the universe begins to fray the ego is is not you know is not to be destroyed it's a device it's not as if you know did, did this is this something that emerged out of the fall no this is a device that it's a protective device related in our discussions about trauma if the moment of trauma is upon you and what we've defined this as is a a level of voltage uh you know phenomenon phenomenological reality that is it blows your fucking circuit board it's it's too much for you to imbibe in in all of its potentially dark and um messy the totality of it is too much and the facts are it's there's something that's too much for everybody um if that is the experience we're describing as trauma and then this is taken on this overvoltage and stored as a survival mechanism to get through this particular moment in time etc the the body i would posit chooses you know overrides the conscious self and chooses a particular strategy to move forward fight flight freeze um what have you the ego is at that moment available let's say you have a situation where that that voltage is just enough to be managed um and you'll see this in recurring sorts of situations where a similar type of trauma is going to be or or like say voltage scenario is going to be recurring over some period of time say in a tour of duty say in a job at some period of your life your ego is there to step in and tell a a what like we said like a quick sort of story that will serve in a sense to move you through that it i would hesitate to say serve because when you 
these are you know human performance types of terms um, this isn't which is certainly per pertinent to all the work on this podcast however it it dwindles out and i want to know what's what remains so in a spiritual um again cosmological coherence totality view what do we have there where does the rest of the self go how does all this work what does the body do the concern about the ego is that it masks the the warrior's millimeter centimeter of opportunity thus you can start to see some of the logic behind the warrior's way um, and any other sort of path that insists on humility the ego can become so active and then like rerouted into the trauma loop um, and then in if you know look around in our present time the victimhood can be turned into this sort of negative toxic power and then you collectivize that and um, you got something extremely disturbing on your hands so the power of breath work again is evident throughout your entire life once you kind of get the big picture and become awake to the fact that you are able to you're able to decide you can decide to go to sleep which may be a damn good idea a lot of the times um and i don't mean literally narcoleptic fall asleep on the couch that's a whole other level of um, non-warrior behavior figuratively speaking nonetheless with that that figurative sleep there comes a ramping down like an attenuation of that voltage into some other set of circuits that are able to be managed and then accounted for later through the mechanisms of the body. So what is Alice suggesting? Um, the moment where Bill, Tom Cruise, is called out at the party in with the cabal they trick him and say his car is outside but actually 
he's routed down into the main room and they have this confrontation. And if you take a quick look at the masks, there's the Kubrickian editing moment where he flashes on these masks that are looking at him. They're not the same type of mask that we first see when Harford enters the party. Those are more like, I'm not an art history guy, so I couldn't particularly tell you what era they're from, but they're much more staid. There's um, a type of almost deadness to certainly Harford's mask and many of the others. Some of them not so much, and they're a little odd. Nonetheless, if you rewatch those two sections, the masks that he sees as he's being confronted are very different. They're very, very expressive. They're all surprised and um, sort of googly-eyed. And in the kind of... Uh, Hero's Journey, Golden Bow, um, Union archetype terms. If this was all a dream, this is sort of Harford's confrontation with the dark elements of his self. And again, his self is not, it, it, the self itself, or excuse me, the self in these terms is not limited. Which is to say, you know, cycling back to the question of, do you actually generate the personalities in your own dreams? It's, it's one of those questions where the answer seems obvious to accept the ambiguity, to, to live with that unknowing, to go ahead and side with the, the pompous turd who probably has his sinecure at uh, Cornell and is going to tell you in his fucking turtleneck that this is all generated in deep, recesses of the psyche or brought up from movies you've watched stories you were told generational trauma if you if you you come from an oppressed minority or what have you um completely deleterious to curiosity sort of analysis if we even justify it like that is born out of your basic materialist, nihilist, shitlib, um, nemesis destroyer like mindset. The egregore is running that person. To just simply admire the mystery um, in Harford's condition, right? Or in the question of what does this mean if my self is not limited? 
it would bring us one um, back to Zania, and it would two bring us forward to the confusion. Um, it's not well. Let's say confusion um, in terms of our interface with these two opposing, I think, symbols, the dollar sign and the cross. The dollar sign and the pursuit of money is well understood at this point. Um, to be a black hole, a, you know, you can never have enough. You can't. There's no point when you can have enough. You can try and work your way around this and hope for a Caesar and who's going to who's going to use this wield the power of the symbol over the masses in a way that you like but that ain't the fucking cross and that ain't the warrior's way and while it's painful it's born out of the ego it is it is itself um if you're if you're to dig into its nature a little bit the nature of the ego vis-a-vis -vis trauma that we just sort of elucidated scratched a bit if we accept that the practice of usury creates in the world a thing that was not there that is namely the interest to be paid and we observe inflation in basic libertarian terms um, and we observe this like the opposite of a closed loop system that is spiraling just out of control in our lifetimes right now I think that what you can see is a shared essential nature a thing that functions to protect the stories the ego tells the basics are like I'm not good enough something is wrong with me everyone will leave me if I don't do this, I'm not good enough. If I don't do this, something is wrong with me. If I don't do this. So in a truly, truly stressful, tragic, catastrophic situation, what you will see is people going to sleep and sometimes these people go to sleep in in christ if you will and um in this is the experience in your story where the question of are you alive really or are you dead right now becomes imminent becomes terrifying 
for the man or woman forced by circumstances to continue to exist within these circumstances. The person who can pull the trigger and run is definitely spared this. Um, the proverbial child who hides as her village is destroyed and then has to flee. Yes, this is definitely something the body is going to keep the fucking score on that. But the fight or flight is going to pump her system full of, or his, his system, the child, full of so many endogenous chemicals um, to keep that flight going and then to put them to sleep and to keep them, you know, between states of hypervigilance and essentially depression um, such that they are protected in this way. And so I would like, I like to, I'm reminded of the, the man in the arena quote at this time. If we can use that as a heuristic to eliminate some of the inherent uncertainism and ambiguity. People love to have these discussions on Twitter and make them, and it's understandable why they work, because life itself, like phenomenon, phenomena itself uh, in being has been made so mild that to make your cosmological claims about how the fucking thing works using these very state again like libertarian sorts of arguments which are useful sometimes and other times absurd you can see though how stories of um, enlightened self-interest or what have you would begin to stand in and become ammo um, once the ego ha had taken taken in some story and then once we have the factor of how, how does the expression go it's very difficult to change a man's mind if the changing of his mind um, affects his you know his paycheck basically that's the most least elegant way to butcher that phrase but I think you probably know the one I'm talking of if if the incentive is um, to go with the simple minded argument then that they will and then that will be promulgated promulgated in a society culture um, arena of discourse that itself is just being undermined in this terrible feedback loop of um, idiocy. Nonetheless, as this sort of character, um, I don't want to pick anybody out by name. There's, there's too many of them to, everyone has their little flavor of, of like, Sorry, I'll use Ben Shapiro because I think he's universally hated anyway. But um, 
a pretty pretty kind of quintessential example anyway um you know this is a guy who the valence if you will of these micro ego arguments at the base of the self reverberating out into more complex like harmonic structures if you will where they're beginning to overlay into political economic theories what have you this is just a way to say you know uh, the grug would say so you know I think Ben Shapiro has a small dick and is and is five foot five and is fucking uptight about it. Yeah, <laughs> and the hooded Jedi at the other end, um, you know, is going to agree. In this particular warhorse segment, um, strands are. I'm attempting to pull to move the crystal around so we can see the various ways that that light shatters um, and takes shards in you know the prismatic sense um, into these other areas of life and um, I find it elegant to go back to that um, in the way this money symbol juxtaposed to the sacrifice symbol so we have the sacrifice on the one hand um, the man who walks with Christ which is not an expression that I particularly like or I you know use I've never used it I don't think in my in my life But if we go back to the nature of the thing, where it is a type of closed loop in a good sense, in so and it's 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 sensical. It's a sort of sensical interpretation of transaction, if you will, with the world. But it requires um, stakes, and it requires it requires something worth sacrificing for. And I mean, I don't think that I need to explain to Warhorse listeners at this point um, what would be the most obvious, natural, organic bit of. Uh, experience in life that would create an automatic sense of sacrifice wherein some sort of usurious you know credit-based cover-up on your lack of sacrifice would be not only somewhat shameful or uncomfortable but for the wake the awoken individual, I will say, not even just man, absolutely unfucking acceptable. Case is closed. You will probably not live another day now that I've come to understand 
who you are when you present that argument. And that's the father and that's the mother. And so in this confrontation, um, Bill Harford's having with this, say, section of his psyche or, you know, the psyche. Um, and then he's woken up into the role of the father and the mother. And it's also been made clear to him in some sense what the stakes are when he returns finally to find Alice asleep and his mask on the bedside behind the his pillow she's asleep didn't put it there we as the sort of viewer you know normie viewer if you will are led to presume that either this cabal has so much power that they can like the nsa infiltrate her house and place the mask in a threatening manner on harford's pillow or are we to presume that she is some sort of strange bedeviled succubi who was actually at the party, stole the mask, and in her unconscious, you know, like golem fashion, because she lives, you know, in that, in both worlds or what have you, the, the vast fecundity of the the scary female mother, um, you know, she's able to be, be controlled somehow and she put the mask on there. Or we, and there's seemingly no suggestion that Harford himself, like we're not in a fight club sort of scenario where, no. Not particularly answered in either of those ways and not relevant in the Kubrickian reading or in my reading. They have each wake, woken up out of this dream into a reality where the sacrifice supersedes the, you know, sort of Dionysian satanic pull. Nonetheless, you cannot help but notice that they are shopping. She's wearing some $5,000 camel hair trench coat and her cute glasses, and he is... I mean, you can just hear the chitter-chatter of the, the set people putting Harford's clothes. He's in this kind of relaxed um, Manhattan doctor, like attire with his long black trench coat, no tie. I mean, they're in... And this is that um, that uncertain feeling that you walk away from the movie with is like, well, we're awake now, 
but the movie's called Eyes Wide Shut. Because they are. They have not awoken from the dream. And I think this was Kubrick's actual message. Yes, there's a fucking cabal. Yes, the Rothschilds and the Warburgs and the Vanderbilts and all of the nouveau riche turds who, as McCarthy describes in The End of Blood Meridian, have come behind them boring out the little empty holes from which they've extracted fire and they've found them empty. The bone scavengers or whatever he calls them. That's your Bezos. That's your Musks. That's your etc. All that exists. And um, are continuing to perseverate in that context in this context in this basic you know um, materialistic reading of, of fucking reality has has and will doom everybody to presumably that vision which is evidently satanic in nature They have not woken up. They have woken up to the point that they can begin to make sacrifices and begin to use um, all of their faculties. You know, they could start to make different decisions. And, you know, some listeners at this point may say, well, like what? I mean, are you against New York? Are you against urban living? Do we want to go into this? You know, no, this is a that's an example of these absurd detours that you're being sucked into. I don't give a shit if Bill Harford um, can quote wake up and quote walk with Christ or whatever you want to call it in you know the um, the metaphysical dojo of, of New York City where it's essentially I'm sorry I mean it's it's a shithole. Um, at, you know, if I were to compare that to, say, Zion National Park or the Pacific Ocean or Glacier National Park or Yellowstone. I mean, are you really in a position where you are comparing and contrasting I did, that that's a legitimate thing? Because how about I go, okay... How about like some some um, photograph of a nebula galaxy? Is the fact that I can interpolate our creation of viewed from above of this massive city with all its little twinkling lights and sort of you know amoebic like shape? Can I sit, can I be proud of that? That to me is the level of, you know, and if we're doing psychoanalysis or whatever the fuck we want to call it, that's the level where I'm looking at the, at this, at the shrink, like, man, you got this one hooked. You got 15 years of, of, um, this person's paycheck. Like they're never going to just make a hard turn left out of that thing. So that's my opinion on that.
Let me check my time. Okay, good. So, speaking of mother and father, we spoke about one corrugated dimple of interpretation regarding Zania. And now this argumentation that we've just pulled ourselves through here for 45 minutes is it's born out of, you know, an allegiance to coherence and then um, a t a t you know, an, an ability, I suppose, to not to toot my own horn too loudly, though I will toot it. Um, inclination, you know, towards being okay with putting, you know, like the, the star next to the email and saying, well, I can come back to this. Or just saying, I'm not sure yet. That doesn't mean that I, I don't want to necessarily say that's that for sure it's it's my allegiances are towards you know the coherence the natural organic sort of side of it whatever that may mean in studying this custom of zania it may occur to you I'll tell it like this. When I was a little kid, my dad informed me that about the time that I arrived on the scene, Willie Nelson had released an album called Red-Headed Stranger. And I was born with red hair, evidently, though I, I'm not entirely sure of that. I've seen some pictures. And my dad would play this album and rock me to sleep and those sorts of things. The mother harbors the stranger, delivers him or her. And then, in a sense, the father harbors him or her. And as I just said, I'm okay with saying I've gotten this far in this framework. I don't know yet what, what the departing gift is to the child. You will have no idea what I'm talking about if you have not listened to the episodes on Zania. Just saying. Um, but that's not my concern. It's yours. The sacrifice
needs to be something more than an inheritance. God knows if you've ever been out of money. It is sweet when you get some. And so, you know, maybe it's a mixed bag of, of gifts that you give. But it's definitely not just that. And I don't think that it should even be even as much as half of the emphasis on whatever that gift should be. And I don't think that you know the gift. I think that in the experience of, in the true experience of harboring the child, harboring the stranger, in the way that Zania, it wasn't clear, you know, it wasn't like a jackpot, like, Woohoo, I'm fucking out of here and I got a big bag of gold. Or I just got a burrito and it's pretty good. I like this burrito, thank you. Or damn, I got a magic elf sword. The implication in my research was that the gift was almost presented or made clear to the giver as he who is harboring the stranger comes to know the stranger maybe where he's going maybe it's appropriate he's got some map he's got maybe some money that can only be used in whatever foreign land the stranger is going to or maybe he's going into a certain type of weather and you give him a cloak for that weather etc you get the point not sure Is it too much of a stretch to extend that metaphor out and wonder what the gift that this life or this earth gives to us as we depart? Do we have to share something of ourselves and our story in order to get an appropriate gift? And what would that be like? What is that... Is that publishing in the Wall Street Journal? Is that just having four kids and kind of hoping in your very crunchy and earthy fucking way that, you know, that's enough? Is it some grand theoretical treatise um, that will, you know, puzzle and enlighten spurgs and nerds for decades to come? Interesting, interesting question. If we pivot off of the cross and back up into breathwork, I want to read to you a section from this fine book, King of All Things. A Guide to Man's Martial Purpose by Clark Savage. This book was not given to me. 
it was purchased by me and I'm gonna keep it so that my boys when they get ready maybe seven or eight or nine um, it provides a really good overview and a sort of a set of propositions guidelines but a very coherent I think viewpoint on man's martial purpose so Clark Savage goes through several sections the book is pretty diverse there's some there's like a practical section on the various martial arts there's a big historical section that's very good and there's a sort of mindset um, catch-all section that's kind of it was probably my favorite section and in here he's talking about battle frenzy and he pulls up the case and I knew about this case and you probably do too of Anthony Smith and um, a dude named Luke Haberman I think this went down in 2019 is that right I'm not sure but I want to know what happened to this dude kind of both of these dudes but I'll read so Anthony Smith is a mixed martial quote Anthony Smith is a mixed martial arts fighter with a winning record he fought one of the top UFC champions in history John Jones for a championship belt in March 2019 losing a five-round decision to a champion whose record at the time was 23 wins and one loss and who was notorious for his devastating knockouts. Moreover, in his own prior fights, Anthony Smith has knocked out two former UFC champions, Rashad Evans and Mauricio Rua, in devastating fashion. Clearly, Anthony Smith can fight at a top level that most of us will never approach, and he is also very skilled including earning his black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He is a physical specimen as well, standing six foot four with a 76-inch wingspan while fighting in the light heavyweight division of the UFC, which has a 205-pound weight limit. One night, Smith, who was living with his wife, mother-in-law, and three daughters. Tough setup was awakened at about 4 a.m. in his Omaha, Nebraska home. A man, Luke Haberman, screaming and clearly deranged, was standing at his doorstep. Haberman had first attempted to enter other homes in the area that evening unsuccessfully, but found better luck at the Smith home by entering through an unlocked garage door. A fight ensued between these men in Smith's computer room. Haberman had been a high school wrestler several years earlier with a good record for his senior year while fighting at 138 pounds. Haberman was probably not anywhere near his peak wrestling condition from several years prior, and he weighed perhaps 160 pounds at the time of the incident. Smith, on the other hand, 
was in fight camp at the time of the incident. Smith was in peak condition, much bigger, far more experienced, accomplished, and effective in both striking and submission grappling. Furthermore, Smith was fighting to defend his home and his young daughters from a deranged, unarmed intruder. On paper, this was a slaughter in the making, and one might expect Smith to make quick work of Haberman. That is not what happened. <clears throat> Instead, the men engaged in an epic brawl that Smith described as, quote, terrifying and, quote, one of the toughest fights of my life. For about five minutes, minutes, which seemed like an eternity to Smith, the men battled in the computer room of the house while Smith dealing out most of the damage to no avail. With Smith dealing out, excuse me, most of the damage to no avail while the police were on their way. Smith said, quote, no normal human is able to fight like that. No normal human is able to fight like that. I'm by no means the baddest dude on the planet. But as Clark Savage makes clear, he's like probably in the top hundred. But so back to it, I'm by no means the baddest dude on the planet, but he's a regular Joe and I had a hard time dealing with him. And he took everything that I gave him, every punch, every knee, every elbow. He took every single one of them and kept fighting me. Smith went on to describe that he was unable to control Haberman no matter what he did, and that at one point he was bashing Haberman's head with his knee so hard repeatedly that Smith's knee became grotesquely swollen. Smith had no explanation for why his blows, including the same knee that knocked out a former UFC champion with one shot, had no effect on a man whose frame was so small that he competed at 138 pounds. Notably, the fight changed course only when Smith's mother-in-law was able to give Smith a knife, which Smith used to somewhat keep Haberman at bay. Parenthetical, again, we see that combat involves weapons, and that no matter what your size, power, and skills are, you may run into someone who shocks you. We can imagine a drastically different outcome here if Anthony Smith had simply kept weapons handy for intruders rather than relying on his hands and grappling skills. The police arrived and walked Haberman off under his own power, putting a capstone on the insanity of this story by stopping to apologize to Smith, who was hobbled by his swollen knee. So that's the rundown of this event. And... Um, Mr. Savage goes on to provide some commentary and I'm going to skip ahead where Mr. Savage basically says, you know, he, he revealed this Haberman simply that there is such a thing as berserker frenzy and that it can impart seemingly superhuman abilities during combat that cannot easily be explained. And then he goes into a, a sweet section about Christianity and war. Definitely check this book out. King of All Things, A Guide to Man's Martial Purpose. So what does this have to do with anything other than it's a completely freakish and cool story? 
We've talked before about the milieu sort of connected and surrounding Joe Rogan, um, the MAPS Institute, psychedelics being, you know, on this, they're on a freight train coming right now for society. Um, over the past two years during the COVID thing, um, all types of legal obstacles were removed. Um, this MAPS Institute, which had been working 20, 30 years under a guy named Rick Doblin, who has been on the Rogan show, I believe, several times. He started MAPS in order to achieve the legalization for, ther quote, therapeutic psychedelics. Um, you see psychedelic use dovetailing with, you know, shooting like a fucking dog leg out the side to inexplicably connect with, um, you know, our, our warrior culture. I put that in quotes. And so does Savage in this book, which is one of those things that I really appreciated. He is not, um, though he is an experienced combat veteran, evidently a former Marine uh, who went to the Middle East, he does not uh, locate the title warrior. You know, he, he doesn't draw some sort of stupid divide be between, uh, you know, uh, current military service and the other options. Um, it's more nuanced than that. And I agree, essentially, with most of it. Um, point being that this odd dogleg has been shot out into mostly it's geared at, you know, trauma. Um, guys like Sean Ryan, DJ Shipley, Ed Calderon, um, various internet influencer types, all of which have massive followings, um, very large followings, and all of which were taken up fully on that wave. Not really a lot of um, nuance, you know, to, to the experience, which is understandable. That, that's oftentimes what happens. That's what happened to me 30 fucking years ago when I experimented with psychedelics. So this dog leg shoots out, it's connected into, um, call it vet bro culture. That's kind of the only term. It's not derogatory. I think it is meant to be derogatory, but I'm not using it that way. I'm just simply using it as a, a moniker for that vein of individual. Um, which is, which is like anybody else. And I think most military vets will say that, that the military is sort of a subset of society. So most of society is a bunch of followers, 99 fucking percent of them. Then most of your vet bros is going to be a bunch of followers. Roughly speaking, right? I'm contradicting that uh, using this example here with Clark Savage. 
nonetheless, where is this all going from Haberman into this stuff? So the Brian Morieski um, and Marcus Allegro, Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, Immort Immortality Code in reverse irrespective order there. Um, and others. I think Rogan has spent quite a bit of time on this theory that something along the lines of the mushroom, the psychedelic mushroom, was the original Christian Eucharist, and this went down originally uh, at Ulysses, not Ulysses, um, the Elysian Mysteries. Um, I think it was like in Elysia, Oracle of Delphi, etc. Something mysterious was happening there in this ancient society. And Moriescu in his book does a fine job of making a case that whatever was going on there, which it never does quite perfectly gel though the book is absolutely driven towards that conclusion but he does make um i mean undeniable sorts of i guess you call them circumstantial connections that some of that culture bombshelled out into other areas of europe um as has been made clear this theory fascinates me and what something that's never quite made prominent in this what what is made prominent is a strict dichotomy like where okay so it's really the power of the mushroom and the power of this christian technology if you will is sort of irrelevant that was maybe an overlay onto something else if you've if you've ever taken the heroic dose um you may not simply say, oh, well, if you're honest, you would be forced to admit that um, there's some fascinating potentials there. What I don't think you could honestly say is that, oh, yeah, the Christian overlay, if you will, is just simply a disguise. I don't think you could say, I mean, I think that retards do, but so now I'm asking for an honest, intelligent, um, non-pussified psychonaut to speak up. All right, so admittedly, that's probably a pretty small uh, subsample. Nonetheless, we have the Viking, much, much more famous, interestingly. Uh, wait, I didn't complete that thought, did I? I apologize. So what's not made entirely obvious, which should be obvious, is that in the Christian technology, it's not that the top seat is in question. It's quite clear. This is all God's creation. That would include magic mushrooms. I'm sorry, but are, you want to tell me that aliens dropped magic mushrooms on this planet, but God didn't make the aliens? 
They came out. That's not the definition of God. And that's the sneaky fucking shit. Sorry, Joe Rogan, but that's the type of shit that, that you push. And all of the mainstream ilk will push that sort of... I mean, it's the most obvious goddamn thing. I'm not a theologian. I've read some stuff enough to situate myself. You could read the absolute most basic stuff, though, to get that situation. That this is the, the technology. This is the, the view. So, that's the case. That is the case. The God that I'm spe- that I'm referring to is there's no loopholes there. There's no edge of the egg of creation where some you know outer demonic uncreated entity slipped in and then deposited mushrooms and somehow that supersedes even though humans would still be made by God. So the whole thing just devolves into a series of retarded circular arguments if you don't allow for this. If you do, and you're not like one of these... I mean, if you're super trad, I understand it, and I respect it. But if you are the overly pious and inexperienced um, kind of douche who's just going to realistically just refer back to the dare campaign of youth and whatever you don't know about what you don't know to make to make an like an anti-drug argument and i'm not making a pro-drug argument i'm just pulling the thing apart and i really don't even i don't actually think that drugs are the whole story which is the point of this segment so we know that christianity went north we also know that there are Sami and other far northern stories of using Amanita mushrooms and potentially other types of plants, um, psychoactive plants, to create a shamanistic, animistic, religious culture in these, in these areas. Pardon me. Um, And we know that there's, uh, I think, again, it's not a complete argument, um, but we have the suggestion that these Amanita mushrooms played a role in the idea of the berserker. We know that there were, if you go watch Northman, it's a pretty decent movie. Um, it's, it's, you know, he's kind of being depicted right there. The sun goes into the underworld with the father to become a man, become a warrior and become, I forget if it's a bear or wolf or be inducted into this uh, mode of being. It's pretty kind of the best scene in the movie, really. He drinks a brew. He definitely drinks some, some hallucinogenic shit. Um, my belief is that this is likely part of the part of the story but it's part of the story so why is it part of the story if god is and he is in the super seat it's been suggested that you know well maybe the mushroom is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then we fucked it all up 
Ah, uh, that's that's pretty. I'm gonna need some more evidence for that one. I mean, I kind of see where that's going, but um, it's very superficial in my opinion. Very kind of silly. It's also kind of silly to say there are these substances that, and if you have not taken mushrooms or a similar substance, you you really don't. I, I'm not going to say like you don't have a place in the argument. I hate when people do that shit, but um, you definitely don't know what you're talking about. I mean, you just don't. And so Moriescu makes a big, and this is brought up in many of the interviews where he does, he's a Jesuit. Again, not making a knee-jerk, batshit conspiratorial conclusion, but taking note of it nonetheless... Um, he, he makes, it, it seems to be one of these bullet points that the interviewers want to hit that while Moriescu devoted something like a decade of his life to unraveling this mystery that Professor Carl Ruck and, uh, John Marco Allegro, that's his name, Marco Allegro, not Marcus Allegro, excuse me, um, could not complete. He completes the story more, it comes pretty damn close anyway, picks up the thread but has never in his life had a psychedelic experience. And he specifically says he, he says he specifically avoided it so that he wouldn't be influenced. This may be true, but I find it noteworthy, let's say. Difficult to swallow. There are indications and hints that Moriescu does not have the grounding in uh, either theology or just Christian history that he may think he has. I think that he was actually uh, like a, some sort of a, he was a classics scholar and he went to private religious schools. However, that does not mean shit. Go read David Bentley's heart. David Bentley, David Bentley's heart. Read his heart. You might be surprised what you find. David Bentley Hart's breakdown of uh, what book is, is it in? Remind me, and I'll look up which book it's in. But he, or maybe an essay, uh, decimates. You know the idea of that. Christians and the whole, the whole of Christianity is basically this project of, of empire and um, colonialism and conquering and fucking killing people willy-nilly or whatever the shit-lib story is. It's, it's so much more nuanced than that. Um, did they go and fuck some people up when necessary? You bet your ass they did. Which kind of, again undercuts the current flavor of pushing paganism because Christianity is cucked. We've, we've, again, the simplest way to sidestep that whole argument is to look at the lineage of Christ down through Melchizedek and look at an icon of Melchizedek and see that this individual holds both a sword In 
my version that I'm looking at right now, he has a sword and his other hand is open to the angels. That's the priesthood into which Christ steps. There are many other ways to make the simple, like one step, shut the fuck up, this argument is over, uh, take that position anyway, which I do, and you should do. So, um, once again, where are we going? So we're going to two places. First of all, is it possible that a secret hallucinogenic brew played a role in early Christianity? Yeah, absolutely it does. Does that mean, therefore, that Christianity is retarded? It means the fucking opposite of it. And I cannot understand, and that's why I take such uh, skepticism with the tone of many of these books, is that they seem to want to just debunk the whole thing which to me would be, it would kind of be the opposite, but it would, it would not undercut any of the, as I say, technology or the argumentation behind it, behind Christianity. In a way, it further bolsters it if you know both sections, if you're not just an ideological turd hoping to wield some weapon against some other perceived enemy. So, yeah, I think, but I don't think that's the whole story. I'll tell you why. Much of modern day breath work is really, it's really taking a hold in culture now. If it, it'll still be 10, 20 years before anyone can actually fucking do it. But, um, because you can't just take a few breaths. That's good enough for you, then fine. Roll on with your anxiety-ridden, you know, uh, your your irritable bowel issues and, you know, your chronic uh, immune issues and your fluctuating weight or whatever. Go ahead, take a few breaths and call it breath work. Um, perfect time to plug the Golden Goat Guild dot net option for you to get some breathwork training from me, none other than me. But that was not the point. The point was to say that eventually, who knows, maybe they'll make a technological way for it to be really easy on everybody, but it's, it's certainly getting a foothold now. Recall that this stuff has been around for, at, for literally the dawn of time. Um, and clearly, I feel strong... I feel strongly in saying well before recorded history. It's literally your fucking breath. Do you not think that people such as Heraclitus or whoever would take note of it, its properties? Yeah, of course they would. And do you not think that people mixing up a magic secret brew, inviting all their friends to take a mecha trip out to a somewhat secretive, you know, again, a little bit of eyes wide shut, uh, overtones creeping into the 
narrative here. Um, but that's what the mystery of Eleusis, it was a mystery. You know, I think, I was, I'm not entirely sure if you had to be invited. I think that it was actually like your right as a citizen um, to at some point make that journey, but I could have that wrong. Again, I'm not a historian. I'm a fucking detective. Um, it was somewhat exclusive and you definitely weren't supposed to talk about it. So we'll say that much. Were dudes roaming around in cloaks? I would bet money that they were, yeah. Was there like chanting? Yeah, probably. Was there a big orgiastic, uh, you know, pan-worshipping Dionysus element? I kind of, I kind of doubt it. I that's where I start to think that certainly that stuff was present somewhere, but in my experience, having taken psychedelics, having had sex, having had sex while on psychedelics, I can tell you that. Um, Despite some crunchy claims out there, that's not that's not an ideal way to. You may have a religious experience. I don't want to cut that off entirely, but I don't think that you're going out and making this mecca to then get laid basically well wasted. I'll I'll leave it at that. What I do think, what I think is the missing element here, is what is now called super ventilation. So, if I can go into the science, not my strong suit, as you all know, but a little bit to make this point clear. So, when you hyperventilate and you see, if you've seen people die, you will see, you know, you know about the death rattle. Um, you will see this with animals as well. Um, it's very obvious with animals. If you, uh, as you all know, avid warhorse ab absorber, I have killed many animals with a knife up close. And I've sat with them and observed them. And um, the, the hyperventilation begins and it, it goes right to the, the last dying gasp, literally. And so what, what's happening in hyper or super ventilation is that your body is preparing for death. It's dumping a whole bunch of pretty much feel good chemicals so that you will chill the fuck out and you're going to go in an entirely predatory universe. And, and since you're on your way out in an evolutionary sense, I don't know how that would fucking develop, nor will it ever be brought up as a case, as a case in point, at least of the uncertainty of this fucking explanatory viewpoint known as evolution, um, you know, well, we, we don't know about that. We'll get to that. But right now, we're just gonna organize society and absolutely insist that if you say anything other than that, you are a fucking religious nutcase. Oh, okay. I I read you loud and clear. So. Where am I going? I'm going to say that there was a hyper, and I do have um, some feelers out for 
some experts to maybe come on the show and hypothesize on some of this. We'll see if it if it comes to fruition. No guarantees. So you're stuck with me for now. And I'm, you know, where else are you going to get some shit like this? Fucking nowhere. Nowhere will anybody tell you that the missing component of the Elysian sort of Christian hypothesis, one, does not in any way, shape, or form negate any of the Christian, the tenets of Christianity uh, or, or any of the rest of it. Nor does the hallucinogenic brew as Eucharist narrative supply the whole thing. So what am I saying? I am saying that my guess is that there were some super ventilation techniques. There was a hallucinogenic brew of some sort because it's well known in yogic sorts of circles and uh, if Clark Savage listens to this, he will understand. But no, I am not creating a yogic school. Shout out to Mr. Savage there. Close readers of Ernst Jünger will also um, grab that reference. Anyway, neither here nor there. What I'm suggesting is that a religious experience of your own death brought about through a combination of what is an established and available and free. You can get off this podcast right now, go find the sources and have it yourself right now. You probably should not, if you have any cardiac condition at all, you can kill yourself. Um, so probably don't be fucking around with it. Um, so, But consider that even. There is this possibility that you may not come back. Now add water. Now add a literal baptism. If you are super ventilated and you are literally like almost overdosing with um, feel-good chemicals, one of which is presumed to be in like uh, super micro dosage, I presume, DMT, it's endogenous to the human being. We do know that, as well as all sorts of other things on the planet. Now you add in a component, a ritual component of chanting, a ritual component of the guide, which is now a big piece of the, you know, the way they're recreating the psychedelic experience into a quasi... It's not going to be religious though, right? That, that's really my whole big problem with this. I don't think that the Warhorse podcast is going to re-steer the course of anything. Um, but I'm not going to go silent on this point to say that um, isn't it curious now that the technology, the real pertinent pieces, the ethics, cos- the cosmology, all of that is being removed and replaced with some jive. But we may be going back to the original roots of, of this you know, world-changing religion if we just go sit with the modern-day priest, which is your psychologist, your, you know, now it'll just be like a guide who has an MA in psychedelic studies or something. 
which hell maybe even better fuck um that that seems to be what's getting served up now and i would suggest to you that without these uh, you know various components brought together it's, it it will probably be mm, well in i was i was going to be dramatic and say it'll be a disaster it will probably just result in um as our old friend um, John Chapman used to say, uh, an explosion of you know of schism upon schisms upon schisms, uh, cults. <clears throat> so what does this tell us about the Berserker thing? Well, it's presumed in the Haberman case that he was on. It's probably out there, and I should fi- I should have found it for this episode. But cut me some slack. I, I, I at least had a reading, you know, ready. Um, it's presumed that he was on some type of drug. Um, I would guess that maybe he was on some sort of pharmaceutical antipsychotic and he went off of that and then he supplied himself with something else but would be what would be crucial is not like regardless of what drugs he had taken um what was the physiological state that he was put in or you know what he whether or not he was off his meds and then on something else either way whatever he was definitely into something and what was the physiological state meaning respiratory my guess um is that the berserker phenomenon insofar as it it, we are told that this was a cult within like a warrior cult within warrior cults not everybody was a berserker but presumably most Norse warriors were inducted into some fraternal uh, bloody order. And I think that the reason for this is not everybody could probably access this state. We'd be on firm ground to assume that there's a fair bit of chanting and screaming going on some drum beating some dancing around the fire practicing with weapons uh seeing a lot of blood and guts and making a lot of blood and guts happen in your experience and you can envision a way that these elements could be brought together and those individuals who I mean, it'd be interesting to know, like, could you get into this berserk state at an older age? Or was it kind of a, a, because I would guess, you know, you'd think that maybe there'd be a winding out point. You got to mellow out in your old age. So we do know, I think that most of us would um, agree that there's, there's a, uh, like an aggression switch. And for for example, with you know, 
our sons ourselves for that matter what we want to be and what we are what is demanded of us is to be able to wield um let's just put it in uh hard-boiled terms a ball peen hammer on a human skull if necessary to make mush if that's what is required when the criminal breaks into my house to fuck with my family there needs to be a switch that that is not stuck on anything other than um whatever it and and let's be honest i mean if it's this guy haberman this is the topic 160 pound dude i'm like 175 there's no way in any in, in in any fantasy I would have, would I ever step in the ring or up to or in any way want to confront somebody like Smith? You're talking about a guy who fought. I mean, it just wouldn't ever cross my mind. And so here you have this problem. You, and and I think Savage's point is, I mean, go to guns, right? Avoid the ball peen hammer. Don't let me get wrapped up in my own digressions here, though. So, this switch that we, as fathers, need to be very acquainted with. That we need to, you know, very carefully um, sort of inculcate and induct our sons into this understanding at the very least that's like the most um sterile and mechanized way that we could go about this you know or at least express it here you don't want to make a bully you don't want to make you want to make somebody capable and able to switch it on and off enough said so you got that that's like check on the Norse warrior you've got the potential for some type of hallucinogenic brew now what I know about Amanita is that it's very very different it it can you can brew it up in different dosages such that it's not going to knock you out but you can just get knocked out and go to sleep you can have experiences somewhat on par with uh, psilocybin type mushrooms but I've never heard reports of this similar type um, like a stability to the compound it's which is you know common to all of these or a lot most of these medicinal sorts of plants you got to sort of know what you're doing and if if that's I think we can say that's probably a check we know that there is some type of what we now call a trauma loop and we presume we must presume that it was not being it was not encultured or dealt with in the same way that we're dealing with it now that that switch probably needed to be uh if i mean you'd probably just be dead if you weren't able to manage the switch i i don't imagine you living very long um even as a youth 
And from there, if you were to add a specific respiratory pattern, Again, I do put the caveat on this that I don't um, imagine that just everybody was gonna cotton to it. Um, there probably there are probably physical and some sort of somewhat psychological predilections, advantages, disadvantages in different individuals. Nonetheless, we know if we're honest about genetic our, gen, our understanding of genetics that uh, that could be more common in one race than another or even one you know sub race than another I can hear you thinking the same thing I'm thinking which is like wow there'd be some interesting studies to be made of this Nonetheless, I think you get the point. I think that some version of super ventilation, I think that you could find a way to reroute that dump of quote feel good, very simple, you know, simplifying everything here, set of endogenous chemicals that's going to come about from your, your hyperventilation to maybe include some sort of knowledge of breath holds at certain points to include as well movement. Um, it's always been odd, right? Like we just think of people dancing around the fire in, pardon me, wolf skins. You, you say, well, they're getting loaded too. And okay, that starts to make a little bit of sense. Now my dog is trying to dig through um, something. Hey. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Yuma. Very nervous boy. Not in the wolf cult. Anyway, to close this section down, I think that this this last piece is that in the way that I'm suggesting there's a technolo there's a techno like a psychological a psychic actually not just you know in the psychological sense but a psychic technology in the doctrines of Christianity there's there is just a lost but also some of a good deal of it is still known technology available to breathwork practitioners to take yourself into various known states. This is the exact shit that Father Seraphim Rose is advising his flock not to screw around with. You know, um, much of the early yogic stuff was like astral projecting or... Um, and that's where I wonder if the breath holds come in. You know, that's my... I'm not sure there's anybody who's messed around with this stuff currently enough to know for sure. Um, but when you add the movement, keeping the heart rate at some elevated rate, elevated state, 
and then you sort of wire into what I'm suggesting is a predilection towards violence, um, a necessity, and a, a religious, that's essentially what it is. It's a, it's a component of the religious experience. Seemingly, seemingly absent from Christianity. One wonders, um, and maybe Clark Savage can can will have some opinions on this. You know, if I get a chance to speak with him, um, or some other pe- folks who know a little bit more about military history than myself, there may have been many advantages that uh, the early Christians going north had in terms of conflict when they faced berserkers. I'm sure there were several and it's very nuanced, but where I was going with this was really to wonder if within this hypothesized, you know, uh, speculative sort of revisionist work, if there isn't a place within this combination that unfortunately eventually leads to where we're at now but is is more something that we we also kind of admire it now you know and that is like your body is on 1010 and your mind is dialed back from the extremity of being in fight you're in, you're, you're out of your window, your lid has flipped as, as some, uh, some schools of breath work have it, and you have, you have dysregulated, you know. But what, wait, if this is all God's creation and we were made this way, would it not make sense that this isn't a, to go into sympathetic, to be dysregulated? when we use the word dysregulation, we mean from now. So what do you, did you need to regulate into a warrior condition? Yes, you definitely did. So while I don't think the rudiments of the central nervous system have changed much at all, accessing those little byroads and pushing out our our stress envelope again not my expression i'm stealing it but um this is a piece of it and um from pushing up from pushing that envelope out who knows where you push into in terms of your state your psychological state what you are able to manage what you are able to perceive because again materialistic dogmatic reductionist shit suggests that you know going into the state would not involve something like I don't know an advantageous sense of hallucinating that maybe an, a modern day percipient would call a superpower from viewing it from afar 
I think there's a dangerous component there. And um, again, if that piece didn't make sense, please DM fucking throw up the, you know, what the fuck were you talking about in episode 29 meme? Because uh, that's, that's the crucial, I think, operant sort of area. All right, we'll close it down for this section. The dog will continue to lose his mind. My apologies. Goldengoatguild.net. Go there, grab the last of the t-shirts. Uh, grab yourself some stickers, autograph copies of the best novel. Of, I think it's up to like the last 12 years now. Um, certainly a novel like nothing other that is out there. Uh, DMs are open. Not for ongoing consultation, though, sir. That is available. I'm happy to give you my time uh, in whatever capacity is required. There are a few suggestions if you check that option out on the website. All right. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate your attention. If you wouldn't mind subscribing on Patreon so that I can provide for my family by doing this, that would be much appreciated. But if you cannot, um, maybe you can share and do all the other stuff. Like, subscribe, etc. Until next time, non-subscribers. Subscribers, hang on. I will be back.